We want to conduct ourselves in such a way that if people reject Christ, ultimately it's to their shame because we made Jesus so beautiful and obvious to people and we gave a a compelling defense for um, his life, death, and resurrection that if people reject the gospel, it's to their shame. Um, I think that's what Peter is saying there. We don't, we don't want to have any second guessing going on in our own hearts or minds about the way that we conducted ourselves. Um, we want to live in such a way that we know um, that we did everything we could uh, to make Jesus known to those around us. You're listening to The Chopping Book, a weekly podcast from City Life Church where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. (laughs) We're glad to be back here on the chopping block. Pastor Andy Atkinson is back from a couple weeks break, so it's good to be back in the studio with you. Shout out to my tan. Yeah, he's got a good farmer's tan from the lake. It stops right about the uh, mid-bicep there, but uh, (laughs) that's okay. Uh, And we're still walking through, I was going to say trudging, but trudging is a negative word. So we're we're journeying through, enjoying the letter of first Peter and man, I think it's been really good for our people. I've had lots of great conversations with people about, I mean, this letter covers a, a ton yes, <laughs> and, it does. and whether it comes to just, you know, identity issues of our identity, both individually as believers, corporately um, calls for what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom while also living as exiles in the world. Uh, there's just so much here and this week, you know, we were in First Peter three, and really kind of getting at the idea of, um, you know, mission, living as faithful witnesses in in the world around us and in our everyday life. And so, w- want to get into that uh, maybe even more practically here at the end. But I think maybe a good place for us to kind of launch out in is you, know, you started with this idea. Uh, you you quoted. 2 Corinthians 5.20, which says we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And you talked about uh, kind of this idea of an apostolic calling right? versus an ambassadorial calling. Am I saying that second word right, ambassadorial? Is there any better way to Indeed. say that? No, that's good. Okay, good. Did well. Uh, <laughs> But but help us understand the difference there for a second, right? Um, yeah, and to clarify, like don't believe don't believe that there's capital A apostles in right. the world anymore. But apostolic is you know one who's sent, uh, commissioned by Christ uh, in a very specific way um, to carry on his ministry. Jesus had twelve disciples um, who followed him and were commissioned by him to carry on his ministry in the world. And so there's this sense in which some 
are uniquely called to vocationally serve as pastors and missionaries in the world. Right. Um, so that is not a calling for every Christian. But what is a calling for every Christian is to live as an ambassador for Christ. Every Christian is called to represent Jesus in the world. And so in that sense, we're all emissaries of the King. Yeah. We're all representatives of Jesus. Um, and so we all have an evangelistic uh, calling on our lives. Jesus, or not Jesus, the Apostle Paul rather, told Timothy to do the work of evangelism. Mm-hmm. I think there's that's maybe a helpful idea because some are gifted by the Holy Spirit as evangelists. They, they, there's just... There's a, a spiritual gifting there where they're really um, capable yeah. at sharing their faith and 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 maybe called into that as as a as a vocational calling or a lifestyle. All of us are called to do the work of evangelism. Yeah. Um, so nobody ultimately escapes this idea that we're called to share our faith. Some do it vocationally. All of us do it as a lifestyle. Hmm. So that's what I was trying to hit on there. Now I think that's helpful description. Helpful even differentiating the two. I mean. The reality is, is that you as a pastor, we as pastors in the church want to see both need to be happening, and we want to see both in our church. We want to see people, uh, all of us living out this ambassadorial call, but also people being raised up to this idea of apostolic ministry. I mean, t- talk about your heart there, and, and this is need in our country, in this generation, for people to, to catch a vision for a call to ministry. You know, when I was coming up, it was still, it, maybe it was just the churches that I was in, um, but there was a nobility um, that was attached to the vocation of pastor um, and a respect for yeah the calling on someone's life to go be a, a cross-cultural missionary. And, and somewhere along the way, it seems like some of that nobility has gone away. Mm-hmm. And there's even an aversion, I think, that I I observe, I think especially in a lot of younger uh, Christians, to the idea of intentional evangelism, cross-cultural evangelism. You know, it gets couched in the language of proselytizing sometimes. And I see a real aversion to that uh, today. And the idea of mission works just falling on hard times. Some of that is, you know, a, a fair critique of really poor short-term missions and even long-term missions practices. Um, and so we, we should critique the, what, what's unhealthy, but we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's, it's a biblical idea. It's a Jesus idea um, for some to go cross-culturally and to make his name known. Um, yeah. And we desperately need, and God will do it. God will raise people up. It's right. It needs to be a conviction of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be something that the church recognizes in an individual, identifies, helps them identify, and ultimately commissions them. It doesn't need to be done rogue um, or just because somebody wants to, but right. there needs to be a sense of God's involvement here. But we need more missionaries. We need more people yeah. uh, to be raised up to pastor and to go and to live as missionaries in other places because the reality is that statistically there are about 3 billion people in the world that don't know the name of Jesus. Right. Right. And, and, and tons of places still in the world where the average person does not have access to a local church, 
does not have access to the gospel, therefore, um, and does not often, or, or at least in, in, in many places, have access to the word of God in their language. Right. Um, so the work is still, there's still much work to be done. It's critical. Uh, in, in the harvest field. And if, if yeah. we really believe that Jesus is the name by which people are saved, yeah, then we've got to get that name to yeah. the nations. Yeah. And, you know, there some of the critique of, you know, past mission effort is, is, is at times helpful and at times needed in terms of um, what, what's, what mission, what missions and cross-cultural ministry should look like and what it shouldn't look like. Right. But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's right. We're still called to go and make his name known amongst all nations let's, and languages and people groups. Let's do it as healthy as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'll take, I'll take an imperfect activity <laughs> over a perfect inactivity. You know what I'm saying? Oh man. Now you made the transition for me to evangelism in general, because I remember in college, my mentor would often take us on cold turkey evangelism in the dorms. I hated it. I hated it. And, you know, you're just knocking on a door. Hey, can we talk to you about spiritual things? Yep, you know? Yep, yep. And I remember being like, Tom, man, this is just not for me. This, I don't think this is the way you should do it. I, like, you know, sharing, sharing uh, the bridge illustration. I was like, I don't know, man, this, I'm not sure we should do this. And he was like, well, Brett, I'm going to continue to use the gospel an evangelism tool that I actually use as opposed to the tool and method that you don't use. Mm. <laughs> and I said, Oh, Ooh. <laughs> okay, Tom. Okay, Tom. So it's a great transition for us. We're all called to be ambassadors of Christ. That's right. Why is no one exempt from this? Well, you know, I said in the sermon and I think I was quoting Francis Chan here that a disciple is a disciple maker. That mm-hmm. the, the goal of discipleship is to become like the one that we're an apprentice of in the process. And so if we're following Jesus in all of life, Jesus lived his life declaring that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, calling for people to repent and believe the good news. We're invited into that as disciples of Jesus. Nobody gets around this. And I think we still live in this sort of two-tiered spirituality oftentimes where there are the priests and the professionals that do that sort of work, and we're just called to show up and maybe give some money, that is not a biblical idea. Right. You know, every every single Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known in the everyday stuff of life. We're all being sent as missionaries Yeah. in, in, in some sense. Now, I want to reserve the word missionary to some degree for, for those who are called to go you know, in this vocational or cross-cultural sense, but there is a missionary calling on all of us. And so we're using the language of ambassador mm-hmm. um, to communicate that idea that we're all called to represent Jesus in all of life. Nobody gets, a re- gets away from this. We're all invited into this. Yeah. And you know, the kind of the foundational way you said we begin to live this out is, you know, that first part of verse 15 well, let's just read 14 and 15 in First Peter 3. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. So you started with this idea of, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord 
as holy. That that really is to see him or something as holy is to see it as awesome, as uh, worthy of our attention, our, uh, as something that consumes our thinking and our thoughts and our affections, and ultimately came down to this idea of devotion, that right. we that we live lives that are devoted to Jesus. And if we do that, uh, our devotion should should cause such a peculiarity about our life that causes us to naturally rub up against a culture, rub up against our neighbors, rub, rub up against our coworkers in such, in such a way that they see us and are provoked to ask questions. Yeah, it's a provocative lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and you know that that being potentially the or not potentially the kind of the foundation of how we begin to live out this life as ambassadors of Christ. And yes, a really helpful kind of introspective question about about what this looks like to be devoted to Jesus. You just asked, um, or you said, when you're committed to righteousness and you regard Christ as holy, it produces a provocative lifestyle. So this is what it should produce, right? But then you asked like kind of this introspective questions, has my devotion to Jesus, and this is good for all of us to ask, has my devotion to Jesus led me to cross over the threshold of always blending in, or is my life simply a reflection of the world around me? Can you, can you talk just a minute about what you were getting at there and how our devotion to Jesus is core to us being ambassadors of Christ? Yeah, I, I want to be clear what I'm not inviting us into. You know, when I was when I was a kid, <laughs> DC Talk came out with the album Jesus Freak, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there was a lot of rhetoric around being radical, being a radical follower of Jesus, um, as if that means always wearing a Christian T-shirt and maybe street preaching or, and I'm not against Christian T-shirts or street preaching, um, but that's not necessarily what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is when you, when Jesus is truly your Lord and when he has your attention and your affection, um, that's going to take your life in a direction. Yeah. You know, and, and as you walk in that direction, it's going to be a different direction than those around you. Just, it, it just will be. And it's that tension point. It's that intersection of your life being devoted to a different thing that's going to be provocative, hopefully compelling, and and open up those opportunities to bear witness to Christ. I mean, so just for example, like if, if you're a white-collar person, you know, you're living in that upper white middle class sort of, you know, socioeconomic strata, and all of your peers are you know spending their money on vacations and boats and you know trips Se- and second homes yeah second homes th- things things of that sort i'm not against any of those things none of those things are are inherently wrong or evil but if your devotion is to jesus this going to dictate the way that you spend your money right um you, you know i think it was john wesley who essentially said that you know, Christians should be so radically generous that it causes us to live below the social class or the socioeconomic status that we could be living in otherwise because yeah. we're giving it away. Yeah, um, that's provocative. Your peers are going to notice that. Um, 
you know, another, I, I think another just really tangible example is youth sports. Yeah. In a world consumed by youth sports where you are literally traveling every weekend, you know, to, to go to these tournaments, it's a, it's a provocative thing for your family to go, we prioritize the worship of Jesus on Sunday morning with God's people. Right. You know, and, and please don't hear this in a legalistic sort of way. Um, I think most of us are able to discern, you know, what's an occasional thing yeah. and what becomes a lifestyle. It's, it's compelling when your lifestyle dictates that you value and prioritize worship. Yeah. And that you don't idolize youth sports. Mm-hmm. You know, it, as a single person, it's a radical thing. Um, you know, if all of your peers are going out on the weekends, you know, for you to go, I prioritize worship. I prioritize my city group. That I'm actually finding uh, my identity and my fellowship in the local church, um, and that I'm rooted there, yeah. And and I find joy in that. That's a radical thing, and so um, it's it's not this like in your face Jesus freak sort of a mentality as much as it right. is, man. Devotion and loyalty to Jesus over time takes your life in a direction that is going to be noticeable to those who are in your sphere of life. Yeah. Um, and, and that's going to be provocative. Yeah. Another one I think of is just man, how you use your tongue, right? Like your words um, can be really peculiar. I, I think I recognize that in other people's the most when you just know, like a person who just won't engage in gossip, who won't mm-hmm. engage in slander around the water cooler at work about boss, like we're not talking about real critique, like honest critique. We're talking about just piling on and jumping into a negative conversation. A person who just won't engage there or uh, who always finds a way to, to, to steer the conversation otherwise or to step out of a conversation. A person who just won't say certain things. And we're not talking about like, you know, cussing makes you the end all bad person, right? We're just talking about like, I won't use certain language of people, men, if you're a, you know, if you're a man of women, I won't, I won't engage in certain types of conversations. That's people see that and go, man, why don't you talk like I talk? Right. Or why won't you join in this conversation, uh, about a friend or a coworker? The Bible talks a lot about the tongue, right? Jesus talked a lot about right. the tongue. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great example. Yeah. And you've been around those people where you're like, dude, there's just a governor on their lips. Yeah. Like they, and Man, like I want to be like that, right? Well, I think I think this is a great place for us to start. And it, you know, if we took our vision statement for a moment and talk about demonstrating, declare the goodness of Jesus, right? In some ways, you could see the uh, in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. This devotion to Jesus is there's going to be for sure declaring that comes into it, but a lot of that is the demonstrating piece, right? And you might be able to go, wow, that's great. I can just demonstrate it. But then the next part of the verse comes, and he says, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And so you're quickly confronted with it. No, there's a time to declare. And there's going to be, if I demonstrate this the right way, if I live with a devotion to Jesus in the way that I'm called to, at some point I'm going to have opportunities and moments where I'm called to declare the goodness of Jesus. Right. Um, so for the person who reads that verse, be ready at any time. 
to give a defense for the for the reason for the hope that's in you and gets immediately clammed up like nervous like oh man i don't know i'm just words aren't my thing i don't know that i know enough of the bible i didn't go to seminary what does it mean to be ready for any person because we're all called to be ambassadors for the person who's you know uh, a businessman or a businesswoman for the person who is a, is a stay-at-home mom for the person who's a teacher in the school system? What, what does it look like to be ready at any time? It's a great question. I, I think of a phrase that I gained through Pastor Jeff Vanderstelt. I don't know if he was the first one to use it, but he kind of popularized this idea of gospel fluency. You know, when you think of knowing a language fluently, it just flows off the lips you know, they say when you're fluent in a, when you're really fluent in a language, you actually dream in that language. Yeah. That's how you know that it's become fluent. Um, we want to be gospel fluent people. Mm. You know, Ephesians four, Paul talks about speaking the truth in love. Let us grow up in every way into Christ. And then in verse 21, he says, and the truth is in him referring to Jesus. And so gospel fluency is this idea of speaking Jesus to each other. Um, and that would certainly include uh, the lost person. Um, but I think even more broadly, it's like, it's learning to bring Jesus into everything, into every situation, every, into every aspect of life. And so it's, how does the gospel speak to this and inform the way that I react and behave and live in all of life? We want to be gospel fluent people. If we're gospel fluent people, then we're ready at any time to give a defense for the hope that is in us. We're ready to bring Jesus into that conversation. We're ready to bring Jesus into that crisis, into that question, into that concern. Um, Whatever is happening in our lives or in someone else's life, we know how to move from that place to how the gospel speaks to that. The gospel is not just the thing that gets us saved. It's it's the thing that saves us. Uh-huh. It, it, it's it, it's delivering us from the power of sin. It's it's showing us how we find hope and peace and comfort and life in this situation. It points us forward to a greater reality, and so it's bringing the gospel to bear on everything. And so, I would say, you know, how do we, how do we how are we ready to give a defense um, by learning to become gospel fluent people? And to do that, we have to saturate ourselves in the gospel. Um, We, you know, this is what we should be doing in our city groups. We should be gospeling each other. We should be helping each other make those points of connection. Here's how the gospel comes to bear in your life. In this situation, we do that with one another so that we can do it with our lost coworker or, or friend or, or neighbor. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. And, and the Spirit empowers us to do this, right? You know, Acts 1 8, you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? right? Um, so, so you spoke about this off air, but, but we're also trusting as we are saturating ourselves in the gospel we're abiding in jesus and trusting that the spirit is leading and guiding us and will give us the words when the moment comes yeah, scripture, a, scripture tells us we don't have to worry right jesus said don't worry about what to say in these moments but the holy spirit will will give you words it will give you utterance and so we, we we've got to learn how to rely on the holy spirit um and that's that's a posture that we take at the start of each day yeah spirit i want to be used by you today 
Um, I want to be your ambassador. I want to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in me. And so there is there is some sense of renewing our minds yeah. in this truth and living in this active dependency upon the Holy Spirit. That's so good. Well, uh, maybe one more caveat with the last part of verse 15 here, um, or the first part of verse 16, are people who love to declare to um, could hear this and go, man, I get to give my defense. I get to beat some people down with my arguments. I love apologetics. I love theology. I can't wait to win this. I can't wait to, to be the defender of Christ that he needs in the culture. And then you have verse 16, yet do this with gentleness and reverence, hmm. keeping a clear conscience so that when you're accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence. Why is that so important? We remember as we li- seek to declare the goodness of Jesus in and around us. I can't help but think of Jesus on the cross here, right? A life a life of testimony, um, gentle to the end. And ultimately it was in his death that the, the Roman soldier declares truly this was the son of God. Yeah. You know, it's, we, we, we don't want to lose people in winning an argument. And so, um, we're called to be like Jesus who was gentle and lowly of heart. Um, and that reverence language there is reverence to God. It's not reverence to the other person. There's some debate there. Is it respect for the other person? I think the word there is phobos. It's fear. Um, I think what's the idea there is as we give a defense, we're doing this ultimately before God. Um, So we want to do it in a way that honors Jesus, that honors the life of Jesus, that honors the character of Jesus, that honors the way of Jesus, that we want to be disciples of Jesus in the way that we give a defense for the hope that is in us. We're doing this before God. And Peter's looking forward there eschatologically to judgment day. Yeah. And, and I think what he's saying is we want to we want to conduct ourselves in such a way that if people re- reject Christ, ultimately it's to their shame mm-hmm. because we made Jesus so beautiful and obvious to people and we gave a, a compelling defense for um, his life, death, and resurrection, that if people reject the gospel, yeah, it's to their shame. Um, I think that's what Peter is saying there. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't we don't want to have any second guessing going on in our own hearts or minds about the way that we conducted ourselves. Yeah, um, we want to live in such a way that we know. Um, that we did everything we could uh, to make Jesus known to those yeah. around us. That's really good. It also makes me think of uh, the idea in Romans that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Mm. Mm. You know, if we're modeling that with gentleness and reverence, like it's not, friends, it's not going to be your argument that wins someone to Jesus. Right. It's going to be Jesus in you and in his words and in his gospel message that wins them to Christ. Yep. And he does so through his grace and through his goodness. Um, and we, for some reason, in God's incredibly divine plan, we actually get to be a part of that. We get to be participants. And I think it's, yeah, it, it's so important. This is why good theology matters, right? It undergirds our evangelism. God is the one who ultimately draws people and saves people. Right. We're instruments of his mercy. 
he chooses to use us in his kindness. Um, and so we don't apologetic anybody into the kingdom. Mm. We need to have good arguments. Um, ultimately, the spirit does the work. Yeah. So we live in dependence and reliance upon the spirit, and we trust God to do the work of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important. And God can work in spite of us or in light of us. We would rather that he work in light of us. <laughs> and so yeah. we want to lean into the spirit and lean into the character of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so that's where that gentleness and, and reverence comes in. Let's, yeah. let's be winsome witnesses of Christ. Yeah. What a beautiful reality. Let's live like that this week. And we'll see you next week. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.